We begin today with the words of a minister who served in Northern Ireland. We talk briefly about the organization created by Jerry Falwell. We offer a potential solution to the divisiveness that plagues us, and I let you ponder the intersection of baseball, numbers, and our question for the day. And then we wonder if an outdated theological notion just may help us see the world differently, all on the way to answering the question, who deserves to be heard? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Last week, I watched a webinar put on by the Carter Center here in Atlanta, and the speaker, Reverend Gary Mason, is an ordained minister who spent the majority of his life, he was actually born and raised there, spent the majority of his life and ministry in Northern Ireland. And he spent recent years serving in the role as a peacemaker around the world. His purpose for being invited to speak in this setting was to address the divisive nature of the political scene and the religious scene as it now exists in the United States. He said some interesting things. He is strongly in favor of people of differing viewpoints engaging in civil dialogue. And he pushed the viewers who were listening to this to come to grips with a simple idea. Engagement does not mean endorsement. To talk to someone, to listen to them, to try to understand their view doesn't mean you have adopted their view or even believe they are right. It is simply an acknowledgement of one basic yet fundamental idea that a person has a right to have a different viewpoint from yours. It was also interesting that he talked about our world and the difficulty in getting people to talk to each other rather than embrace the schism which threatens to tear us apart. The preference for schism over dialogue is kind of based on one simple idea. Now, before we get to that idea, let's talk about the common ground which we hold. There's actually a fair amount of agreement between differing sides in almost all disagreements. We agree that in our world there are the oppressed and the oppressors. Most of us genuinely believe that the world is split between victims and victimizers. The one thing that we all seem to be in agreement on is that, well, we are the victims, or we speak on the behalf of the victims. Read anyone's social media who's espousing a stance on a divisive topic, and they will be clear that they are the voice of justice seeking to pierce through the domination attempted by the other side. This is the stance taken by, well, practically everyone. I'm reminded of the political and religious organization founded by Jerry Falwell called The Moral Majority. The idea for the founding of this organization was that there were threats to our nation, political, moral, ethical threats that could signal the decline of us as a society if there wasn't a group of vocal people to stand up for what was right, for what was righteous. Now, in this case, that was the Christian right and the political right wing of the Republican Party. But the truth is, most any side on any issue, even today, would be happy to claim the position that would call itself the moral majority. If the name hadn't been so strongly associated with a particular brand of politics, that is, the moral majority would be something that any of us would gladly claim as our side. 
Everyone on every side of every contentious issue believes that they speak from the moral high ground and that they battle against the forces that want to impose its moral view upon those who potentially can't speak for themselves. It's tough to live in a world in which everyone in every situation speaks from the assumed position of the moral high ground. There's an interesting theological position that's been held by the church for generations, for almost as long as the church has existed, that has somewhat fallen out of favor as of late. The position is simply this, and you know it well, original sin. First, let's talk about original sin and the reason why so many people find it distasteful for the church to espouse and embrace it. There are those who feel strongly that sticking with the idea of original sin is degrading to the relationship between us and God, and degrading to the way God intended that relationship to be. God created us. God loves us. God wants us to live our lives to be filled with blessing. Why do we need a notion of original sin? The idea that we have sinfulness baked into us from our birth seems to be counter to the idea that God loves us, God wants us to live lives filled with blessing. Let me say, first of all, that I don't think the notion of original sin in any way is detrimental to our notion that we are loved and treasured creations of God, at least as I understand it. I'm sure there are people who espouse it in a way that it is, but it's, I understand it, it's not. I genuinely believe that God created us in the divine image and takes delight in us. I am also profoundly aware that there is a subcurrent of brokenness within humanity as a whole, and more specifically within me, and each of us as individuals. Look, as I've mentioned before, our daughter, Kate, spent a year abroad studying in Spain. She, she speaks Spanish, and she speaks Spanish to me frequently, which I do not understand. One of her favorite phrases, which I've mentioned before in a previous podcast, which she says to me with great regularity is, por qué no los dos, which I have come to understand as meaning, why not both? We're out to dinner and deciding on eating dessert at the restaurant or going somewhere else for ice cream. And she says, ¿Por qué no los dos? Why not both? Look, if you ask me about the origin of sin and the story of Adam and Eve and their fall from grace and ejection from the Garden of Eden, I will tell you this. We can go back, say, 3,500 years ago. And even at that point, there was a ponderous question. The question was this, why does there seem to be brokenness in a world that God created? So they told this story. And the story of Adam and Eve is to me less about an attempt at cosmology, which to be clear sounds a lot like but is different from cosmetology. It's less about cosmology than it is a story that is an effort to understand how we manage to live in a both-and world. A world that was created to be filled with love and blessing, and also at the same time a world that has some measure of brokenness running through it, running through us. Look, even Paul dealt with this. In the book of Romans, Paul writes, this is chapter 7, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, speaking on my own behalf, I don't always do what I hate, but if I'm honest, I do it often enough to look at myself and wonder, what is the deal? I wonder why I choose the thing that I had decided 
I would not choose. Why did I speak to that person in that way? Why am I sometimes intolerant of differing viewpoints? Why did I let Kate talk me into eating dessert and then going for ice cream later? Carl Menninger, who was a noted, influential, and renowned psychiatrist, wrote a book entitled Whatever Became of Sin. And I won't try to do justice to the book here, other than noting that 50 years ago, he tells us through his title that he noticed the desire to move away from and do away with the idea of sin. Look, when we watch baseball at the professional level, we occasionally are privileged to see some of the best in the game. And one of the most exciting elements of baseball, particularly when it's achieved by your team and not against your team, is the double play, meaning two outs are achieved by the team in the field on the same play. Now, every position in baseball has a number. So the pitcher is number one, the catcher is number two, first base is number three. So a classic kind of double play would be four, six, three double play, means the ball is hit by the batter and fielded by number four, the second baseman. Now, as the second baseman fields the ball, the shortstop begins to run towards second base to cover second base, shortstop being number six, catches the ball, and now gets the out at second base and then has to throw the ball to first base very quickly, where it's thrown to number three, first baseman, to get the batter out who's running to first. Now, this is complicated the way I described it, and intentionally so, because I want you to understand how amazingly complicated and difficult a thing this is to pull off particularly at the speed that professional players have to make it happen. So if we only allow ourselves when we're watching baseball to see players as the best of the best, if we only allow ourselves to see their greatness, does that make it a better game? Do we appreciate the double play more? Or does allowing ourselves to acknowledge that they are like us, like all people, limited, and occasionally miss the mark with their throws, does that allow us to enjoy the game even more? By the way, the Greek word in Scripture that is translated as sin literally means to miss the mark. I think the concept of original sin could be really helpful to every single one of us because I think it allows us to acknowledge something important. Every single one of us misses the mark sometimes. Every single one of us, without exception, sins, period. And I don't believe that acknowledging this is a burden, but it is instead a liberating realization. First, we can acknowledge that each of us struggles to live the life we want to live, and hopefully that leads us to understanding an important and universal reality. And that is simply this that the same thing is true in the lives of others. They are struggling with the same things we are. I saw something recently, and it was a quote from a poem by Damien Barr, and it said, We are not all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm. There are differences between us, but the challenges are the same. And maybe, just maybe, we can let go of the idea that leading a moral life is about sitting in our perfect castle on our moral high ground and taking shots at those we see beneath us. And maybe we can acknowledge that we are doing the best we can. And the people who disagree with us, well, they're doing exactly the same thing, the best they can. 
and just as we deserve to be heard, so do they. That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. Also, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for Sky Pilot Faith Quest. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is dan at skypilot.zone. That's dan at skypilot.zone. And as always, I would love to hear from you. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>